Hello everyone, my name is Naomi Williams and welcome to Dawning Diabetes Podcast where we talk about type 1 diabetes, other autoimmune disorders, and healthy living. Hello everybody, happy Thursday. So today we have special guest, Dr. Stephen Ponder. He is a pediatric endocrinologist and also he's a doctor that has type one diabetes, you guys. So he is an endo that has type one. So you don't wanna miss out on his sugar surfing research and his experience with living with type 1 diabetes for over 50 years, you guys. Um, So definitely tune into today's episode, and I hope y'all enjoy. Please do not take any information or stories shared on this podcast as medical advice. Please consult with your doctor or medical professional before changing your health plan. Okay, hello everyone. So today we have special guest, Dr. Stephen Ponder. He is a pediatric endocrinologist for over three decades, y'all. And he has been living with type one diabetes since 1966, is that correct, um, Dr. Ponder? Yeah, 56 and a half years now. Wow, that's amazing. And so he's gonna talk to us about his, also his research called Sugar Surfing. He's also the author of the Sugar Surfing book as well. We um, actually know each other because I held the Sugar Surfing workshop, um, his Sugar Surfing workshop at Kennesaw State University back when I was a former president of the CDN. And that was really cool. Um, It really impacted a lot of people. with his research. So thank you so much, Dr. Ponder, for coming on Dawning Diabetes. Um, Thank you so much. Thanks, Naomi. It's a pleasure to be here and it's good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. All righty. So first question is, what does sugar surfing mean for people with diabetes? Sugar surfing is what I call dynamic diabetes management. It's really a metaphor. Uh, It is looking at blood sugar uh, information and using that to make decisions about your self-care as you see them. And I don't mean by the old style of poking your finger and then making a decision about whether you take any food or insulin. I'm talking about a more holistic way of uh, approaching your management. Uh, When would you do things? How much? uh, How little uh, would you do? And I'm talking not just about insulin and food, but activity, uh, stress management. It's uh, it's a holistic way of managing uh, type 1 diabetes, and it depends on having access to continuous glucose monitoring information, which now is very widespread and very commonly available to people. When I wrote the book a few years ago, it was still an emerging technology. Now it's overtaken things, and uh, more and more people are using CGMs, as we call them now, than ever before. And while we still have people that still poke their fingers and still do it that way, CGMs are here to stay and they will become the main driving force behind diabetes self-management as time moves forward. Whether you're doing it independently as one person looking at your own information or whether you're taking some of that information and applying it to, say, an insulin pump, one of these smart insulin pumps and using it as part of a hybrid closed loop insulin pump system. So either way, 
CGMs are benefiting all of us, you, me, and everyone else out there uh, with type 1 diabetes. And the best thing we need to focus on is to how to best use that information as we see it. Yeah, that is so true. Speaking of sugar surfing, what does the surf stand for and how can we apply it to our management? That's a great question. As I said earlier, you know, surfing is a metaphor. I, I thought of flying or gliding or things like that, where you basically have to manipulate certain forces to get to your destination. And surfing is a great metaphor because as I put an image in the book, I went to a surfing competition once and there's a quote on a surfboard. It says, you can't control the waves but you can learn how to surf. Wow. And I think any of us that have lived with diabetes for any period of time and use a CGM, notice that the blood sugar patterns on our CGM devices look like waves. They go up, they go down, sometimes without any sort of explanation or reason. Sometimes they go up for reasons we totally understand. Mm -hmm. But I think learning to control and steer those waves is the, at the heart of sugar surfing and hence the term surf. So it, it itself is not, uh, say, an acronym, which S-U-R-F means anything. It's more of a metaphor of the term surfing itself. And it really aptly describes what sugar surfing is all about. It's learning to manipulate and manage the direction that your blood sugars are trending or trending or flowing, if you will. When you look at those points individually, they form a line as opposed to just one number that you see in isolation of the others. Right. Gotcha. So really, it's about data. And of course, your CGM gives you data and you see how your numbers are trending up and down. And so that, that's really good um, advice, especially for those of us who have a CGM um, or trying to get a CGM just to look at the data, the numbers and figure out, okay, what is causing that? Um, and then how can I move forward with dosing my insulin? Um, you know, I, I'll add to that too. We're mm -hmm. all used to the term in this era, we're all used to the term streaming. Mm -hmm. What does streaming mean? That means information is coming at us continuously, whether we're streaming a movie or streaming mm -hmm. a song or something. Um, when we drive a car, we're streaming information into our eyes, into our ears, into all of our senses. And mm -hmm. we're using that information to make decisions in the moment. And I think I, I thought about the term sugar driving. It just didn't have the same catchiness that sugar surfing had. But mm -hmm. if you drive a car, if you fly an airplane, if mm -hmm. you do, do anything that involves motion and direction, mm -hmm. then you have these skills already. You can make instantaneous decisions about whether you need to turn off the highway, slow down, speed up based on what's happening to you that's coming at you what's, and what's around you. And sugar surfing is basically applying that same mindset to the information of blood sugar information streaming towards you using a CGM. So it's something that I think most of us have common sense awareness and understanding of. We just need to look at it that way and not try to make it more complex and it needs to be. We already have the capacity to do this. And I think that's why it's become so popular. Once people realize that, they realize it's streaming information and I can manage streaming information because it relates just to me, not to mm -hmm. you or anyone else, but my mm -hmm. streaming information, that's the secret behind sugar surfing. Gotcha. Yes. Like individualized management of diabetes. Yeah. Yes. That is so true. Um, and so can you explain what 
like care is and how it relates to time and insulin? Or could you explain time and insulin? Now, that is an acronym, C-A-R-E. And I I use that in the presentations like what I gave uh, Mm -hmm. a few years ago and and, and in in the book uh, Mm -hmm. to represent four terms. Mm -hmm. C stands for current. What are you currently doing? What's your current status? Mm-hmm. A is anticipated. What are you planning on doing in the in the very near future? Mm-hmm. R is what you, what have you recently just done? What is your most recent activity that might have affected your blood sugar? And E is what is your experience in similar situations? All of us have had breakfast for thousands of times, lunch and dinner, and we've been in certain situations repeatedly. So we have an right. idea what we might uh, expect, even though it's not a guarantee that's going to happen. But we also are aware of what we are doing, what our current status is. So current, anticipated, recent, and experience. And that forms the acronym CARE. Now, it took me 50 times as long to describe that to you as it takes to actually comprehend that in, the, in our minds. Uh, when we're doing something, for example, as I used the example before driving, we're already aware of where we're at, where, you know, where we're planning on going. We know what's just behind us. And we've driven this, say, this road before. So we use that instantaneously to make uh, management decisions on driving a car. We can apply that same thinking process to blood sugar information and how we make decisions about our own management, whether it's food, insulin activity, stress management, or what have you. Oh, yeah, that is that is so true. Yes. And I, I really um, like care, like current, anticipated, um, all that type recent. of stuff, mm-hmm. recent and um, an experience. Yes. So I really like um, that that acronym because it makes you stop and think like, OK, what do I need to do now to move forward? This is just a number because a lot of diabetics, you know, they get hung up on um, A1C, um, which is something that um, is changing. Right. When you have, you know, when you see your blood sugar in real time and you see it on CGM, you can make those quick decisions, those quick changes um, and pretty much um, have what they're trying, what they're saying is time and range, I think is correct me if I'm wrong. Um, they're trying to get blood sugar in a certain range instead of relying on like A1C, just like totally depending on A1C and people are trying to just get their blood sugars more in range, which is like, oh my gosh, my A1C is terrible or, but it improves when your research, you apply those care to it. So yeah, that's, that's really cool. And so do you want to explain time and insulin and maybe add to what I'm saying or? Yeah, the, um, the, the concept that you mentioned, time and range, is now the current way that we like to look at blood sugar information as opposed to the A1C. Now, the A1C is a blood test uh, that's been in existence since the 1970s. And so it was one of the first ways that doctors and patients could uh, measure or assess whatever word you like to use. Uh, Unfortunately, oftentimes it's judge, which is not one we should use, um, their management. And I also make a point to say this, nobody controls diabetes. I don't control diabetes. You don't control Mm -hmm. diabetes. 
we manage it. No more than I control the weather outside or right. I control the oceans. I manage what I do. So it's important to dissociate or separate the words manage and control. But all too often, control becomes a word that's used by doctors and by patients. And you see it on media all the time. And so I don't like to use the word control. I like to use the word manage. And so time and range represents how well you can maintain the blood glucose, blood sugar uh, values uh, on your CGM device between a certain range of values. Now, everybody has their own choices as to what their ranges may be, but you have to select choices that are reasonable, mm-hmm. that, are, that are reasonable and, and, and you're able to, to achieve. The establishment, if you want to use that word, uh, has recommended that values between 70 and 180 milligrams per deciliter is the target range for the average person with diabetes pretty much of any age. Now, mm-hmm. in my case, I have to manage children with diabetes, so I have to cut them a little bit more of a break. Uh, and sometimes we widen that a little bit. Now, as an individual, you may say, man, Naomi wants to really tighten that up. I want to make yeah. like 80 to 150. And that's your choice. No, that's totally your choice. And I think that's the important thing. If diabetes is about choices. We choose what kind of management you want to have. And even in the course of a day, Naomi, you may have in during daytime when you're and totally awake and aware of what's going on, you may want to run, you may want to run a really tight ship and make it like, I want to be 80 to 130 or something. But you know, through the rest of the day, you may say, I'm okay with being 70 to 180 or 70 to 160. And that's kind of how I look at it. That is not a concrete setting. Um, we just use them as guide, you know, a, a guide guideposts or guidelines, if you will. So time and range is replacing the A1C. It's not that the A1C is totally useless, but all the old research was based on that. But as you move right. forward in time, as CGMs become more uh, more popular, you're going to see time and range as the main target goal for persons with diabetes. And uh, the higher you, the better. You know, now 70% or higher is what most people aim for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you still get benefits, even if it's below that, yeah, in terms of your long-term results with diabetes. So it's been said, you know, 45, even 50% time and range, mm-hmm. if you can maintain that is very respectable uh, compared to things that are lower. So 70% may be kind of a lofty goal for some people, but anything that moves in that general direction up upwards is going to be beneficial to the person if they can maintain that over time. Yes, that is so true. Um, so true. Yes. Um, and yeah, like you're right. Like I do know A1C this start back in those days and time and range now is the newest thing that um, doctors and just people individually are trying to manage, like you said, instead of control, because that's so true. People think I have to control my blood sugars, but it's like, no, just manage. And so I do appreciate you saying that um, for people who listen. Are, are one, listening. Thing I'll, one thing I'll add to that. Let me add one more thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I put this in the book, Sugar Surfing, and, and, mm-hmm. and it, it was, it's a very, it's a very uh, significant truth about living with this condition. And I hope mm-hmm. you, uh, you, you agree with me on this, but in the best of my days, the best of my days from day to day living with this condition, uh, I am happy if I can manage uh, 50% of the of my blood sugar results for what I had planned, what I had thought was going to happen, mm-hmm. did happen. The other 50% are the unexpected things, the drifting ups, the drifting downs that didn't happen yesterday or the day before, but they happened today for whatever reason. Right. And I do my best then to respond to that. So half of my day is what I plan. Mm-hmm. The other half of my day is what I have to react or respond to. And that's in the best of circumstances. 
So I think sometimes we miss in the translation with all this, it's somehow a person like me should have 100% of everything happen uh, the way I want it to happen day after day after day. Nothing could be further from the truth. I have to react and respond to the unexpected, just like anybody else does. And as I used the metaphor with driving before, who knows what car is going to break down in front of me or tire is going to blow out or, you know, road's going to be blocked. I didn't anticipate that I had to make alternative plans for. And that's the same as it is in living with type one diabetes. I think you and I both can agree. Now, whether it's 50, 50, but you get my point. My point is that's so true, y'all. It's not everything's going to happen the way you want it to. And you can't, you cannot beat yourself up over this. You cannot say, oh, I've been a bad person or I've done something wrong. Even if you made a mistake, that's called learning, right? That's mm-hmm. called getting experience. So uh, you can see where a lot of sugar shrimping has to do with attitude, having attitude. Not that anybody's perfect. Nobody's perfect, especially me. Uh, but mm-hmm. knowing how to manage the situation as it comes at you the best you can with the least amount of judgment. Yes. That's so true. And yeah, that starts with ourselves, because um, as you know, um, you can add on to this um, too. Um, people in society, they put pressure on us <laughs> who don't have diabetes or never been around it or they only been around it a little bit. And they think, oh, you know, you can't eat this or you you can't do this or that or sugar you know, all that jazz. And that's so true. We have to start with ourselves because we come into this world, the society where people are still questioning us. (laughs) Um, And it's just not, you know, it it can be very daunting, but that's so true. It it definitely starts with, but like not beating ourselves up because we're doing the best we can do, you know, with having a CGM, with having, an insulin pump, um, or just the best way we can with the means that we have as well. There's um, another, there's another famous uh, diabetes doctor yeah. in the past, Dr. Edelman. And um, uh, he, he talks about the type three diabetic in some of his talks. And it's a humorous take on this, but it's exactly what you said. There's the type one, like we have, and then there's people with type two diabetes. Yeah. Type three is the type three is the person who cares about you in some way or, or wants to tell you your business and, and tell you what to do. <clears throat> and shouldn't you be doing this or should you be doing that? And uh, those are the uh, those are the people that are kind of eavesdropping from the sides and and uh, telling you your business. And you have yeah. to be careful yeah. because they're everywhere. They're everywhere in your life. and You never know where they're going to come from. And in a way, they're well-intentioned. But at the same time, they don't they're not the persons with diabetes and they don't know the whole big picture of things. And as much as you have to appreciate that, if it's a loved one or a relative, you also have to make your own choices and decisions about what you're going to do. And I know that's very troubling for all of us because we all have loved ones that that care about us and um, they're projecting what they think we should be doing onto us. And um, that's difficult. You have to find diplomatic ways to deal with that without being off putting, in my opinion. Uh, I know a lot of people would just say, you know, talk to the hand or something, but I, I'm, I, I tend to be a little <laughs> right. bit more thoughtful about it. Cause you know, I think about it this way, Naomi, mm-hmm. how many things do you and I not have that we have a very little understanding about, and yet we might comment on them and think yeah, about yeah. that when, when the shoes are turned, when the, when the, when the situation's the other way around, I try to hold back judgment on other people with other conditions. I don't really understand that well, just because I don't want people that don't have diabetes to tell me my business all the time, too. So I'm a lot more sympathetic, empathetic to people with other conditions because I don't know. I haven't walked in their shoes before. Right. Me too. I'm not going to tell them that. Yeah, me too. Exactly. I'm very um, sympathetic towards 
a, people with many conditions, um, been around people with other autoimmune disorders before. I've met someone who had five different autoimmune disorders at the same time. Um, so including type one. So, yeah, so I'm very, uh, very sympathetic towards people like that, too. And you're right. And that's a great analogy. Type three, <laughs> um, type three uh, people. It's like you you care, but, you know, you put what you want on us. And that's something that also needs to change as well. Um, for those of you who tell diabetics what to do, um, you know, it's, it's good to learn um, from us, but don't put that on us because <laughs> we yeah. we deal with enough already. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's true. That is so true. So what is microdosing and how can this help the roller coaster we see in BG levels? Well, uh, the con the concept of microdosing applies to both insulin and uh, uh, to carbohydrates. Uh, those are both your common uh, forces in people with type 1 diabetes that will either reduce their blood sugar if it's insulin or increase their blood sugar if it's carbohydrates, especially fast acting carbohydrates. You could also apply that same concept to exercise. We do a little bit of exercise as opposed to a lot of exercise. So it's using smaller amounts than you traditionally think about of certain uh, management uh, you know, moves uh, to manipulate the trend line. We get back to that trend line concept uh, in the direction you want it to move. And so if you can break down your trend line into small snippets of time, like, uh, you know, 30 minutes, an hour, uh, two hours, as opposed to just the whole day or for five or six hours, right. then micro, micro dosing is all about steering and shaping, if you, you want to use the term shape, the trend line. And so what you learn in sugar surfing is to use the CGM as a tool to teach you some of the moves on how, how sensitive is your as your body to insulin at certain times of the day. And can mm -hmm. you use that information to make management decisions about, oh, I see my blood sugar trending up and it's mm -hmm. 140 and it's gone up 30 points in the last two hours. Well, I consider 30 point change from where it was before as being significant. Now, some people may say it's 20 points. Some people may say it's 50 points. In fact, I even may um, uh, change and say it's 30 or 40 or 50 points sometimes just depends on the circumstances. Each situation has to be judged on its own merits, but a change in the blood sugar direction may necessitate some sort of action to steer it back around. And what I try to encourage people to do is to learn what those forces are, whether it's insulin, whether it's insulin combined with a little bit of exercise, uh, trying to bring a trending high blood sugar down. If it's one that's going down low, is it a little bit of carbohydrates and maybe stopping exercise? You have to look at this holistically, but it's keeping your eye on that trend line and deciding when is something significant? When do I see something that makes a difference to me that I want to stop right now before I find out an hour later that's gone 40 points higher? Now I'm trying, having to treat a much more higher blood sugar or a much more lower blood sugar. So it's what I call in the book preempting. I'm trying to preempt uh, a problem downstream, which means I have to think a little bit about if I don't change this, am I going to get low or high? And I have to make a, a judgment, a decision, if you will. And I could be wrong. And, and, I, and sometimes I am. But many times I'm more right than I am wrong because I practice this. Now, as you know, uh, the artificial intelligence machines that do this use information from the blood sugar uh, from the sensor uh, to make decisions about what they think you're going to be uh, in 30 minutes. So they do basically the same thing, but they do it with machine learning. Uh, the problem with that is machines are not people. 
And I, as a human being, can change my plans. A machine just has to project what it thinks I will be in 30 minutes or an hour based on what I am right now, what I've done in the past. I can change my plans. That's why I think humans are much more powerful at doing this uh, than machines. They just have to decide if they're willing to invest the time and the effort to do it. Right. So um, do you think, um, because I've heard of the artificial pancreas and stuff. So what is your thoughts on that? The um, uh, what what we lump under the umbrella of artificial pancreas is what I mentioned earlier: hybrid closed loop uh, insulin mm-hmm. delivery devices. Big long word. It makes it it sounds better to say artificial pancreas. Mm-hmm. And there are newer technologies which are evolving constantly that will include not just insulin being given through a pump, but glucagon given yes. through a pump as well. Those devices are still uh, not yet to be released, but you can see in general where we are heading with all of this. I'll say this. Um, the, they are, they are wonderful technologies. They are, they do cost more than traditional therapy. You have to wear and maintain them. They're not foolproof devices right. by any of the imagination at this point. And, um, there are still ways to completely undermine their effectiveness, which I see all the time in people of all ages. Uh, they forget to count their carbohydrates. They are late to dose for their meals. They don't, uh, um, they don't, they forget uh, sometimes quite frankly to dose. They just think they don't have diabetes anymore. I see that more often with uh, teenagers uh, than I do with the very young kids because the parents are in charge of it at that point. But uh, a machine does not know what you're eating, when you're eating, what you're eating, unless you instruct it or tell it. And that depends on how well you know what you're doing as well. So these devices are moves in the right direction, but they are not uh, the end all and be all. They're not the final solution to this. And I think that if you combine a very motivated person who really takes time with these little detail things and you combine that with these hybrid closed loop systems, that's the perfect combination. That's when you have both the person and the technology working in tandem together uh, to get the best possible results. Yeah, no, that's true. You have to educate and make sure that person's managing and then you have a pump and you be educated on that. So just in case, because it happens, your pump may fail and you may have to calculate your carbs all over again, calculate your carb ratio, um, you know, calculate um, your basal. So you may have to calculate it manually and give yourself an injection. So that's true. It's always good to make sure you know the basics um, and not forget what you've done before when you were on like maybe you were on MDI um, or things like that. So that's true. Um, I, I have noticed that Um, Throughout my life, I'm happy I was on the pen before I was on the shot um, in pediatric. I mean, before I was on the pump, I mean. Um, And so that really helped me. So when I got on on the insulin pump, I was like, oh, okay, I can do this because I have knowledge on how to calculate everything. Um, So, yeah, it's definitely good to educate the combined education and pump education at the same time. Um, so I have, that has benefited me in my life. Um, well, let me, let me add to that too. And this mm-hmm. is build on what you just said, uh, receiving information, mm-hmm. uh, calling it education, uh, is something that's essential for everyone, but education has mm-hmm. to turn into something, uh, it has to be combined with experience mm-hmm. and it has to evolve into wisdom. Okay. And so, uh, simply giving someone a book or having someone, 
complete a class or take an exam or something, mm-hmm. yes, I can check a box and say that I've done that. But do I really know if that person has internalized that information? Are they applying it uh, to their best ability day after day after day? I never know that. And quite honestly, uh, as I said earlier, every day is different. And uh, some days I'm a little bit more on my game than others. Mm -hmm. But uh, the bottom line is a person with diabetes who really owns their condition uh, does not uh, is not motivated, does not require motivation by outside forces they manage from the inside out, if they will. They're not managing by based on fear either. Right. They're managing based on understanding, appreciation, and empowerment. And and that's a that's a destination for a lot of people that many of many of our listeners are probably still uh, on. They're still on that path to trying to figure that out. And and we get distracted sometimes when we're diagnosed and we're told what to do. We're given a book and you know, we're given a new insulin, a new device, and somehow that's going to save us or make things better. No, right. those, are just, those are just tools. Right. We yeah. have to be good yeah. tool users. We have to be the best tool users we can be and to realize we grow and learn every day. As I said before, I've had this for 56 years. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I am still learning yeah. about how to live with this. So I always challenge people who say they come in, they know everything. So, well, man, tell me your secrets. I've had a 56 years and I don't know everything. I do this for a living. Yeah. And I still don't know everything. So I, I have a humble attitude, a humble attitude about this in regards to my own understanding and my own behavior. And I still make mistakes too, just like anybody else. I'm just mm-hmm. as human as the next person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And I agree. I meant to say experience education and then also experience before you get on the the pump because I was on pins for years before I ended up on the insulin pump Um, because I had diabetes when I was nine Mm -hmm. so that was all of majority I had it I had to be on the pump for at least three uh, not the pump I had to be on pin for three years and then I experienced all of everything, how to treat it, all that type of stuff. Um, got my A1C down and then I was given an option to be on Omnipod. Um, and that was years ago. I've been a tight one for 15 years, not as long as you have. <laughs> um, so I'm still learning, too. I mean, this is a daily learning um daily learning practice. Um, and yeah, it does take experience um, and education, um, but you need the education first and then experience. Um, I mean, you, you can't that you can't knock that. Uh, you have to have education before you can experience MDI and then the pump and then the CGM on top of it. And you might have to get reeducated as you have new technologies and new, you know, and experience different things. So yeah, um, it is a daily, uh, a daily walk, yep, absolutely. <laughs> a, a daily walk, you guys. Um, but no, wow. I, pre- I appreciate that. So yeah. So we're going to move on to question five. So we know insulin is still expensive for diabetics in the United States, but what is a solution? Um, So we talked about your research and all that jazz, but what is your take on insulin? Um, Because that has been a big issue um, currently. Well, I'm I'm not sure I have a solution except to endorse all the efforts Mm -hmm. that I understand are moving forward to make Mm -hmm. insulin more affordable. Uh, I live in Texas. 
Mm-hmm. And there have been some uh, legislative um, actions that have uh, targeted lowering the cost of insulin for people with diabetes. I can't say what's going on in each and every state, but mm-hmm. I think that um, uh, lowering the price of insulin, which I've been, as you know, taking for 56 years, right. uh, is, um, you know, it's a life-sustaining medication. And I think that uh, uh, we need to make it within people's reach uh, to, to obtain uh, you would think with so many people uh, taking insulin across the, the United States and the world that the cost would be lower just simply by competition, you know, uh, as opposed to being as as exquisitely expensive as it is. Mm-hmm. I understand that the co- reasons for this go beyond your traditional, you know, uh, economic theory that you may learn in college or wherever. Mm-hmm. And that um, I think the changes that are going on politically to, to make these changes are, are all being, are moving, maybe not fast enough, but I think that if there's one thing we all, hopefully people that are listening to this do is vote and they know uh, what, which of their elected uh, representatives at the state or federal level support diabetes uh, actions and initiatives, mm-hmm. especially uh, uh, affordable insulin uh, coverage, you know, medical care for diabetes and so on. There's a whole list of things, insulin pumps, sensors, and so on. I fortunately live in a state where uh, we do have uh, we've had access to insulin pumps for over 20 years uh, mm-hmm. for people that are on uh, state assistance programs. And we just recently uh, were able to get CGMs under mm-hmm. that same uh, that same coverage as well. But that's not the case in all the states where mm-hmm. people are living who may be listening to this right now. That needs to change. I completely agree with you. And it's a it's a it's a topic that has a high priority. I'm sure. In, I know in my mind. I'm sure in your mind as well. Yeah. Listening to minds to make this more affordable. I didn't know Texas had um, assistance um, programs um, for diabetics. That's something that um, Georgia does not have. Um, that not to my knowledge. Um, we. Are, we have to apply like with the company if you have an like assistance or for insulin. Um, so you have to apply with the companies directly. Um, but yeah, that that's that is an issue. We definitely need like more um, programs. We need to lower the cost of insulin. It's too high. Um, and we should be able to get any type of insulin. That's my opinion. Instead of it being, um, oh, I have to go with the insulin that my insurance company gives me. It should be, OK, let me choose an insulin that works with my body and my insurance company should be able to cover for it no matter what. Um, and so that is an issue with the insurance companies that we need to change because they have so much say so in um, insulin, on um, the type of insulin, the price, all that jazz. And that is great that um, in Texas or just in Eli Lilly recently, how they're trying to reduce the cost of their own in- insulin individually. But now, We need bigger steps, though, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. Um, way bigger steps um, to make this not only affordable, but some people can qualify to just it be being free um, until they can pay for it. Um, So it just really needs to be um, 
those are my solutions. Um, I'd have more, <laughs> but I don't have time to, to go into all of my solutions. But yeah, there definitely needs to just be more um May, may more priority in especially states like Georgia. We have so many people who have type two, um, small percentage that has type one, but it's big. And a lot of type two diabetics require insulin as well as type one. Um, so that's a big issue um, that's going on in Georgia. Exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we've, we've been dealing with that for years uh, and it's time to change. So hopefully someone... <laughs> is listening to this who can advocate um but yeah it, it definitely needs to change so last question but not least so you have had type one for many years you've experienced many things with your type one so what is advice that you could give me other newly diagnosed type one diabetics or diabetics um what is just some advice um when when i encounter or meet a new family or a new individual with type one diabetes, but what, what we assume is type one diabetes. Uh, I have a certain number of things I go over that I want them to hear first. And I want them to hear it from me. Mm-hmm. The first thing as I tell them is that nobody caused this. You would be might be surprised. Maybe some of your friends have shared with you this with you that sometimes there's a guilt trip about developing type diabetes, type one diabetes. That somewhere along the way I did something wrong, or my parents did something wrong, or they feel like they they made a, a wrong mistake, made a mistake somewhere along the way. So the first thing I do is I try to dispel any guilt about a diagnosis of diabetes. Okay, I tell them that at the mm-hmm. very beginning. The second thing. This relates to my experience as a pediatrician, and I think it transcends into the adult world as well. And that is, I really try to get the words good and bad out of the vocabulary in discussing diabetes. Uh, when you're a young child and you were nine, I was nine when I was I developed diabetes. Uh, I, I did not have blood glucose monitoring to have labeled and, and applied to me as that's a good blood sugar. That's a bad blood sugar. Mm-hmm. But when you're young, it's hard to understand the nuances between the words good and bad when you apply them to a value you had no direct control over. Right. Uh, you couldn't, I couldn't will my blood sugar to be whatever the person wanted them, wanted it to be. It's just mm-hmm. a reflection of what is. Uh, not what I want it to be. And so I always tell families, don't use good and bad in a blood glucose um, uh, sentence. Uh, They can be high, they can be low, they can be in range, out of range. This comes from working 40 years in a diabetes camp and listening to kids uh, complain, uh, fret about how they were being judged all the time, simply Mm -hmm. by their numbers uh, when they were growing up and how they Uh, would falsify numbers sometimes. And so I try to get that out of the discussion. The third thing I tell everyone is that it's all about choices. Now, the average person, you can look this up on Google, they they suppose, say, makes 35,000 choices a day, 35,000. Now, that's a lot, it sounds like, but even if it's not 35, it is thousands of choices that you're making in some way, shape, or form each day. Now, many of these are just habits that you fall into that you can call choices. About 60% of your day is a habit, is habit activities. But let's say, for example, you make you know 10,000 choices every day. How many of those choices in some large or small way might influence how your diabetes is managed. Mm-hmm. Well, two obvious ones would be, what if I omit or forget to take a dose of insulin? Uh, well, that could be a problem, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what if I take my insulin and I forget to eat all my food? 
Um, those are things that you don't even, those, those are even, those are omissions. Those are not, uh, you know, actions that you actually affirmative actions, but they're just omitted actions. And so I use that as an example to say that your whole day, your blood sugars, everything else about your life is the sum of all your choices and your, your, your non-choices, if you will, the things you didn't do. And so, uh, choices drive outcomes. The third, the fourth thing I try to advise people is, uh, what my goal is for them. You could say this would be the first one, but I oftentimes use it as the fourth example. My goal for any of my patients with diabetes is that they live a normal life, mm-hmm. whatever way they want to define normal. You still have to have diabetes, but you have to find a way to live a normal life. I'd like to think you're living a very normal, robust life, just like I am as well. I happen to have diabetes. You happen to have diabetes too. Mm-hmm. It's not kept you from making a difference in the lives of others. Uh, it's not kept you from attaining all sorts of achievements, that you, that, which is one, one reason we're on this discussion right now. So in my opinion, you've been successful uh, in yeah. how you live well with diabetes. So those are those are my my core you know, messages I try to get across to people, you know, get rid of the guilt. It's all about choices. Um, there's no good or bad. And it's all about a normal life. And that's really what we're trying to accomplish. That's the wisdom I try to impart to all of my patients at the beginning. And as over the years, as I see them, it helps keep them on track uh, in terms of what we're trying to accomplish. Nobody's perfect. I've said that before. That's also one of my little sub messages out there that we do the best we can. And we can't, you know, we can't judge ourselves too harshly. We do the best we can. We do the, do the best we can with the time we have on this planet, make a difference in the lives of others and for ourselves too. That's my message. Yes, that is that is so um, inspiring and positive. And I appreciate that message. And yes, you guys do not feel guilty for having diabetes, you know, and I try to on my platform just have confidence in your diabetes. It's okay if people look at your CDM or pump or, you know, it's okay. People ask you questions, but don't feel guilty about managing your diabetes, you know, the best way you can. Um, so yeah, that is so true. Well, thank you so much. Um, Dr. Stephan Ponder. Um, thank you so much just for coming on the show today and, um, explaining sugar surfing. And I would definitely drop the show notes to his research and website. So you guys can definitely check it out. Um, if you are trying to better manage your diabetes and you have a CGM insulin pump and you're like, okay, how can I use these tools to my advantage? So definitely check um, sugar surfing out, you guys. All righty. Well, one thing, so one thing you could add to this too. Uh, one thing more, and uh, mm-hmm. Naomi, is mm-hmm. uh, for any newly diagnosed uh, person with diabetes of any age, we offer a free ebook copy of okay. Sugar Surfing. There and you that's go. Been, been there for five years. So please share. You go to sugarsurfing.com. There are links on there. And we provide an ebook, uh, Kindle, EPUB, you know, PDF uh, to whomever uh, wants a copy. They can also purchase the book if they want to. We're a nonprofit um, and they can purchase it off the website as well or on Amazon if they wish to go there too. But uh, we're trying to get the message out. The book is, we've already distributed over 100,000 books. Uh, in the last six years and uh, on every continent. So thank you for getting the message out about sugar serving. Very much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. All righty. Well, thank you so much. 
So we mentioned earlier about an analogy on non-diabetics. We did mention type three, the type three diabetic, but we were not referring to people who live with type three diabetes every day and conquer it every day. So please do not think that we were talking about type three diabetics. And I appreciate you guys listening to my show. So this has been Naomi with Dawning Diabetes Podcast. Thanks for listening today. Tune in every Thursday or Friday for more episodes. If you haven't already, check out the Dawning Diabetes community on Instagram and Twitter. Please y'all follow me on Twitter. I only have two followers. So if you guys can go to Twitter, that would be great. Other than that, you guys join the community on IG or Twitter and I thank y'all for listening to today's episode and definitely check out more episodes. Alrighty, please subscribe, download, and write a review. That will help me out so much, y'all. Okay, we'll see y'all next time. Bye.